Good morning, 88.9 The Bridge. This is your host, Dylan Shobe, on Breakfast on the Bridge, second hour, 8 o'clock. And today's a very special day because we have an alumni in-house today. It's one of the best broadcasters to come through here. You can see his name up on the plaques around you know, the station here. Max Tanzer, welcome back to the station. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling fantastic. Super pumped to be back. It feels like I'm 16 years old again. So thank, <laughs> thank you for the nice intro, and uh, thank you for having me on Seems today. like it's probably been long enough that you don't come back and people recognize you, so it's not <laughs> yeah. an awkward moment in the school when that happens. You know, I used to come back, and like I would know, would what, know the first-year students when I was seniors and so forth, but now everyone's graduated, so... Yeah. You know, you guys are my connection, but besides that, yeah, no, I don't know anyone. So it's different. It feels weird. Definitely. And now you're doing some more baseball. Joe was talking about how you're pretty much kind of under, what is it, the Twins organization, kind of doing some uh, minor league broadcasting for that. So I just want to kind of pick up there. It's kind of topical to what we're doing here at the bridge. So kind of sharing your experience of what you've been doing, you know, this past summer and leading into the fall would be pretty sweet to start there. Absolutely. For a lack of nothing, that's a cliche. It was a dream come true this year. My goal when I was in high school was to broadcast professional baseball. And so doing so at the single A level in the Twins organization for the Fort Myers Mighty Muscles was super fun. Just learning how professional baseball worked because I had been fortunate enough to get a lot of baseball broadcasting opportunities. But I think learning the business side of baseball, how it works from a front office standpoint and being connected to a major league team taught me so many different things that I wasn't aware of before, you know, and I, for someone who's always trying to learn about baseball. And I, I think that, you know, I've strengthened my skills from a historical standpoint or how the game works to learn the front office aspect of it was really important to me. So that was really special. And just to get to work with professional baseball players at the top of their craft uh, was so special to me because I, I think for me, the best way to learn is to be around and surround yourself with experts, and they're the best in the world. So to be able to just watch them play taught me so much, and that was really important for me being a broadcaster. Yeah, the kind of learning the the front office was interesting to me to just hear. Um, could you kind of talk in and dive in a few examples of like what like because going in being a broadcaster and learning that through school and then actually getting that opportunity and then learning oh there's this whole other side to it. Um, like what exactly like. When you talk about front office, like connections and like things like that, um, what was something that like really stuck out to you? Yeah, I'd say the biggest difference was before I was co covering all college sports, right? So it was summer baseball in the Cape Cod League, which is when a bunch of you know Division One Power Five guys come together for the summer, play in front of a bunch of scouts. But for them, when they're playing in those games, the priority is let me perform at my best in front of the professional scouts so I can boost my draft stock <laughs> yeah. or get an opportunity to you know, sign a contract and be an undrafted free agent. And instead, with this case, they've already been drafted. They've already been signed. So they're in underneath the umbrella of a Major League Baseball team. In this case, it's the Minnesota Twins. And it was cool because we get contacted by the big league team. We're going to promote player A to double A now, and you can't tell anyone until we make it official. Those kinds of things. <laughs> Being a part of the story okay. for those guys in their first full season affiliated season. Again, this it was the single A level. So when the draft happened, it was very cool. I came back to Seattle for the All-Star game. The Twins had the sixth overall pick in the draft and selected Walker Jenkins. And I was able to be there for the draft just as a fan because I came back home for that week. And when Walker was drafted, I was like, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to get to see him play in two weeks or so. He signs his multi-million dollar signing bonus with the Twins a couple weeks later. And then what do you know? We're 
sitting down in the clubhouse with him, talking about how we're going to handle the media, how we're going to go about this, just to make him comfortable and so forth. And you become colleagues with them. And this is a guy who's going <laughs> to be in the major leagues someday. I'll tell you what, he was probably the most impressive player I've ever covered in my life. And <sighs> it, it, it it's pretty cool to know that when you're working with these guys, they're going to be at the major league level someday. For someone who loves baseball so much, that's what was so cool. Um, and to be able to learn from them, you know, have all these stories about them, and to be able to, you know, share their stories and their narratives with their family members and their friends is really special too. My broadcast partner and I had a very uh, fun conversation with Walker's grandparents who came out to visit, and they said that the whole family was tuning in every night. And so to know that his family is able to by curiously live through his professional career through us is really special. And that that's why I love doing that's it. That's why you tell the story. Absolutely. Uh, right now, are you doing more of, you'd say, play-by-play? Or are you making stories uh, more for a different media channels and forums and mediums? So it's tough. Since, it's, since baseball is obviously so seasonal, these months are kind of you yeah. know, in limbo a so little right bit. not. But as much. I'm going back to Florida in November to do some volleyball and basketball tournaments, so that'll be really fun. And then I'll hop back into Florida in January and get ready for spring training and get ready to go. So for me right now, it's mostly just freelance opportunities, trying to get on the air, looking at behind-the-scenes jobs as well, whether it's just being an assistant to someone, trying to research, running boards, whatever it might be, yeah. just trying to... Get my feet wet in the industry. Still, I'm still, you know, just 22, so I have a long way to go. So just trying to maximize those opportunities. Yeah. So going back to Walker Jenkinson a little bit, um, telling those stories of like players who haven't come up yet. How important do you think that is, and and how amazing is it kind of to bring that talent to people who haven't heard of those names yet? And how do you do that in a way that's um, compelling and selling a new guy who not necessarily everybody knows. So like, why should I pay attention to this new draft prospect in comparison to Bryce Harper or somebody? Like Absolutely. That? Well, that's the, you, you like, that's the exact answer to it. You have to tell them why that they should be interested because again, a lot of these guys, Walker Jenkins is an interesting example because he's, you know, a top prospect. He had been in high school and every single major league scout was at his games. You know, he was telling us stories about how, after class or in the middle of his school day when he had off periods, he would be going to the field and Major League Scouts <laughs> would be watching him hit. Like his life was chaotic for a 17, 18 year old, literally your age. And this guy is just constantly, you know, having to, you know, talk to the media or talk to scouts and so forth. And that's a hard life to balance. And that's why I, the thing that I was most impressed about him was his maturity. He carried himself like he was 22, 23 years old. I'm 22 years old. <laughs> and him at 18 year old felt way more mature than I was. And that's what was the most impressive part about him. And to me is that sort of, you know, deceptive sixth tool that'll get him far in professional baseball that it's you amazing. can look at the arm strength, the bat abilities, you know, the power he has, but the head he has in his shoulders, I think is impressive and that'll help him get really far too. And I'm sure that's why he was a top 10 draft pick this season. But I, I, I always compare it to America's Got Talent. I think it's a funny analogy, but I always try to note whenever you're watching American Idol, America's Got Talent, one of those shows before a top performer comes on or before someone who's going to go deep goes on, they show a little package about their backstory yeah. and so forth. Sometimes they're really sad. Maybe a family member passed away or maybe they lost their job or something like that. Sometimes it's really inspiring. Sometimes it's really happy. Whatever it may be, those packages are created 
to give you a reason to connect to that person. And I, I think that's the reason why those shows are so enticing sometimes is because you get to vicariously live through them. You know, they're experiencing fame for the first time and they have such a fun story. But in order to be able to connect to them, you have to relate to any normal, ordinary person. And that's the that's the big thing is that stories, people latch onto the stories. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, rather than the statistics, for sure. And like, I think there's a good balance of statistics. Like, I love using them. I think they're important for context. <laughs> yeah. But I've been told- you do you that know, all day. <laughs> yes, 100%. But just as much as you have to remember that there's baseball experts tuning in, or if it's a football, lacrosse, basketball bo- podcast, volleyball, soccer, whatever it might be, there are experts tuning in. There are people who are obsessed with the numbers, so you want to- be able to use that for them. At the same time, too, though, you have to remember there are people who aren't as big of fans from the statistical standpoint or the strategy standpoint, and you have to give them a reason to want to enjoy it, too. When I grew up, my um, mom was never a big baseball fan. She just never got into it. (laughs) So I kind of always tried to paint the picture for her in a way that I knew that she would like it. Um, The same with my dad a little bit, too. And I feel like is it's a very broadcaster storyteller backstory. Yeah, no, exactly. Sure. Exactly. That's I always, pretty sweet. I always say that uh, even though I grew up with parents who didn't love sports, it did in a way subconsciously train me how to, or at least force me to try and make it interesting That's for them. Cool. Yeah. And then so when I'm on the air, yes, I can get all analytical and all these things. And sometimes I get carried away with it because I just love it so much. But at the same time, too, I really try to stress why the human element of the game is really important. These guys are so young, 18 to 23 years old. They're off far from home, not making too much money, playing 132 games in the stretch of about 145 days, right? Half of them, this might be their last season playing baseball. Some of them, they might make it to the big league someday. Some of them, they might rise up a couple levels and that might be it. But at the end of the day, they all have one goal. They all were the best probably from where they came from. That's what I think is really interesting too. A lot of these guys are the best at their high school, the best at their college. Like They're the man. <laughs> and then they come to professional ball and you're all of a sudden with the top 1% and you have to learn how to kind of deal with that competition and deal with maybe not being the superstar. And so there's all of this stuff going on behind the scenes. And obviously, you know, there's a line of what you can share and what you can't share. But the ability or the opportunity to express the human aspect of it is really fun too. And I think to answer your question, the first question, that's what helps people connect to them is being relatable. Because I think a lot of times we can put athletes on pedestals, right? And you think that they're in these godlike figures and that you're never, ever going to get to see them. Sometimes it's almost like, like they don't exist. They're just these, you know, super mm-hmm. amazing, super people. Almost like a character in a movie. Yeah. Absolutely. I always compare athletes to characters in TV shows all the time. But um so that's a good comp right there. But at the end of the day they're humans just like us and I think the more you can connect through them that way, the more relatable they get and that's why I think social media and so forth has really changed the way that we watch sports and communicate with athletes because now the ones who are more personable will get on TikTok, will get on Twitter, will get on Instagram live and communicate with their fans. So that makes them more personable. And if you notice, those are the ones that people gravitate more towards. And so as a broadcaster, you can take advantage of that too. A lot of these guys, you know, I'm just thinking of the Mariners off the top of my head, like Sam Haggerty, utility infielder, not the biggest name. You know, I don't expect most people to know who he is if they don't watch the Mariners every day. He's got his own clothing company that he's trying to pump up right now. Like, and that's what he does. Like, that's what he's passionate about. And he plays baseball. 
for the Mariners as well. You know, a lot of these guys are so multidimensional, and we just look at them like they're athletes, but they got a story behind them too, and it's cool to share that aspect of them. Yeah, just hopping right into a quick example. Um, Michael Brantley, I was watching the yeah, Astros versus with his dad. the Rangers with his dad in yeah, the batting practice. Great, I was great wondering story. if you could pick up on that too. Uh, exactly why we kind of watch the game is like you can relate even if you didn't play sports to whatever activity extracurricular that you did with your parents is really cool that Michael Brantley's dad still goes and watches him, uh, his son, uh, do batting practice before games. And, you know, they got to a clip of him kind of moving his shoulder like, Uh hey, you need to fix that. So it's just kind of a funny thing that top one percenters still have that, obviously still have that family connection, but also that their families, um, that their dad is still giving them tips. Hopping right into that kind of series right now, Rangers versus the Astros. So you got... Rangers up 2-0 right now in the in the Battle of Texas, if you want to call yes. it. So 5-4 in Game 2. Just, this is perfect because, you know, I'm a Mariners fan. I'm not into it like, like you are on that level, but I want to kind of get your opinion. ALCS, NLCS, you know, what can I expect heading into, you know, the back end of these series? How do you think the Rangers being up 2-0 affects the Astros? And, you know, bases loaded, zero outs. You know, Uvalde gets out of that jam. It just seems like everything's going right for the Rangers. What do you think is going to happen in the future? I'm going to pose that question to a baseball expert. It's tough. And I would say normally when you go back home to your home park up 2-0, generally speaking, (laughs) you're in pretty good hands. But something to note here is the Astros, for some odd reason, have struggled so much at Minute Maid Park. There was a point in time where they Mm -hmm. had to actually readjust the batter's eye a little bit, expand it a little bit because they didn't think that they were seeing the ball that well. Their mm. offensive numbers, the splits, are way worse at home this year than they are on the road. Interesting. So the Astros might actually be relieved that they're going into Arlington to play on the road here, That's which would be interesting. Yeah. I would say this is the Rangers series to lose at this point. A lot of it also banks on how Max Scherzer does tomorrow. Of course, he hasn't pitched in more than three weeks, but he's a competitor, so you have to expect the best from him. But yeah, no, it's their series to lose at this point, but the Astros have been there. They've done it before. If you go back to 2020 during the championship series, remember the Tampa Bay Rays took a 3 nothing lead on them, and the Astros were able to battle back and take it to a Game 7. Of course, they weren't able to win it. The Rays would go to the World Series to play the Dodgers that year. But they've been in a similar spot before, and they have the veterans to get there. Yes, they just won 90 games. Maybe it's not the same Astros team from last year or the year before that, but they have the guys. And I think that's what you see with the Phillies a little bit as well. There's just certain players, like I said, who have that sixth mental tool who can (laughs) lock it in, step up in October in the high-pressure moment, and exceed. And there's some guys who can't. And that's hard to quantify, unfortunately, but the Astros are rich with those types of players. So I I would not give up on them yet if you're an Astros fan. All right, fan. so you're, you're kind of rocking with the Astros. It's you? hard to say. As a Mariners fan myself, yeah, exactly. you know, I don't want to ever root for well, the Astros. Well, it's hard to go anywhere in this 100%. series. 100%. <laughs> that, I was sitting with my dad on the couch, and I was like, I'm watching this because I love baseball, and if I take away my Mariners bias, the Rangers versus the Astros is an incredible storyline for a championship series, but either way, yeah. one, of our, one of the Mariners' rivals is going to be pushed through, so... We will see. We'll see what happens. But I will say this, as much as I am confident in the Astros' ability to bounce back, this is this has been built perfectly for the Rangers, <laughs> and if they can't get this done, then that'll be tough for them. They should get it yeah. done. So my money would be on the Rangers, but I would not be at all surprised if the Astros 
I end like up that. coming back. I like that take a lot. Talking about teams that can really turn on in October. They literally call themselves Red October when it yeah. comes to this time. We got the Phillies in the Diamondbacks series. That one is at 1-0 for the Phillies, right? 5-4 to yesterday. And, you know, a team, the Diamondbacks, haven't been to the NLCS since 2007. Correct me if I'm wrong, yes. right? I remember that statistic. I was like, I'm going to say that, and it's going to make go. me look so cool. Anyway, Punched it. Okay. So, Phillies, Diamondbacks, what do you see there? We're only one game in. It's the only game out of the two series that's going to be played today. Yes. I believe at 8 Eastern. So, we'll see how that pans out. But who do you got today, and who do you got to take that series in an early series that we're it's only 1-0 right now. Yeah, this one's interesting. There's definitely more of a gap talent-wise than I'd say with the Rangers and the Astros, but you have to ride the hot hand. You know, I always say just get a ticket to the dance. You know, you hear that in March <laughs> Madness, but it's the same in baseball. Yeah. And just as prevalent in baseball, right? March Madness, single elimination. It's not the same setup in baseball, but with how fickle the game can be, you know, you never know what can happen. And so that's what the story of the Diamondbacks season has been. They go in and sweep the three seed in Milwaukee who won their division, the NL Central, and then they go in and beat the Dodgers in three games, right? And so, in fact, yesterday was their first loss of the postseason. Just realized that. <laughs> but it has been an incredible run for them. They have that resiliency that I feel like the 2021 Mariners had a lot, where it was a lot of scoring late in games. Your bullpen was locked down. And honestly, I think they're set up very well for a best-of-five series when you have Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen at the top of your rotation. But what does scare me is over a seven-game series, yeah, you're going to need... Yeah, that depth, you're Yes, saying. exactly, right. 100%. So when you're in the wild-card series or a best-of-five with all the days off especially, you can kind of tier your rotation where you only have to throw, in this case for them, it's... I think it's fat. That's how you pronounce it. P F A D D T. Interesting last name. Uh, he was very good against the Dodgers in the game three start last week, but they were able to tear their rotation if they wanted to, where you have your three guy go once and then you can go Gallon and Kelly again. In a best of seven, you probably need an extra guy in there, and that's where the Phillies have the plus because their top three is very formidable. Of course, Wheeler dominated yesterday. Aaron Nola, since he made the pitch clock adjustment a few weeks ago, he has been lights out. And his first two postseason starts were fantastic, and he should shove tonight as well. I think he matches up against their lineup pretty well too. And then you go Ranger Suarez in Game 3, and I'm assuming the Phillies will take those first three games, go into Arizona with a chance to honestly sweep the series. And I, I want to be wrong. They I sweep want the be- series, and then they face, let's say, the Rangers. Who are you liking there? Phillies. Yeah. There is just something. I, I'm, like, rooting for them, man. Me too. There's just something about the Phillies. There is. And you know what? Everyone likes to harp on Philadelphia fans, <laughs> and, you know, I'll say they cross the line sometimes. Yeah. But how can you not root for that ballpark when it is so loud, so passionate? decibels. Yes, that's night. right, on yep. the Harper home run yesterday. Yeah. And oh my goodness, how can you not root for Bryce Harper? I've been on the train that Harper I is, like him, honestly. I love him. I don't him. understand the hate. I always said that he's so overrated, or excuse me, <laughs> so overrated that he's underrated. Because everyone expected him to be Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams, whatever it might be. And he didn't quite get off to that start. Of course, he won the MVP in 2015. And you're thinking, all right, here we go. And then he had a tough contract year with the Nationals in 2018. But an incredible second half. That's what people don't realize. So I don't know what it was in the first half of that year that he was struggling with. But again, we talk about the sixth tool a little bit. That guy is a leader. He's been playing in high-leverage situations his entire life. He knows how to perform. He knows how to step up in that big spot, and that's been proven by his ability to succeed in the postseason. So that guy at the top of your team as your captain, 
not officially a captain. I think he should be. <laughs> that is the difference maker right there for that Phillies team, and everyone else feeds off of that. And I think that anyone who wants to say he didn't deserve his big contract back when he signed with the Phillies in 2019 <laughs> isn't looking at the fact yeah. that he sets the culture in that clubhouse as well. And that's something that is priceless, in my opinion. It's something the Mariners really need. Not that the Mariners have bad personalities in the clubhouse, but it seems like they sort of need that guy to step in and set the tone. A guy who's been there before. And Harper's done it, and he's been playing with adversity and pressure his entire life since he was younger than us, like a 15, 16-year-old. He's in the Little, Little League World Series, I believe. Yeah, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, too. He was the LeBron James of baseball. He is the LeBron James of baseball. <laughs> I don't think people realize he just turned 31 yesterday. Two MVPs already, NLCS MVP, 300-plus home runs in his career, over 2,000 hits. You know, he could get a ring this year. I think this is the year he gets the ring. And he's already a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. And he's just 31 years old as of yesterday. And to me, he's met the hype. I know a lot of people like to harp on him, no pun intended, but uh, I'm against that. He's the man. I I really, really appreciate watching him play. Yeah, so many big bats on that Phillies team. It's Uh going to be fun to watch. Game two today, so make sure you tune into that. Diamondbacks versus Phillies. Rangers-Astros tomorrow for game three. So we'll see how that heads when it heads back to, what is it, Arlington they play? Yes. Yes, Arlington. So, Rangers, Astros, we had Phillies, Diamondbacks. We talked about everything from broadcast, your career, to Bryce Harper's career to end it off. (laughs) So, that was pretty awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, Max. This was a lot of fun. It's been a minute since I talked to you. Absolutely. you know... Excited to do it again whenever the time comes. And Pumped to see you grow as a broadcaster yes, exactly. as well. Doing great things. Great confidence on the air. So keep killing it, We will man. be in touch for sure. Absolutely. Keep listening to Breakfast on the Bridge. I'm your host, Dylan Shub. We're going to have some other co-hosts with me in a second here. And stay tuned. This is David Bowie, Dancing in the Street.